Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
Today is Wednesday, April 28th, 2021. Coming up on this special edition of Roland Martin Unfiltered, President Joe Biden, he is going to speak tonight in his first uh, speech to a joint session of Congress. We will carry it li live, have pre- and post-debate analysis, and be joined by a number of elected officials, uh, who, uh, including Congresswoman Yvette Clark of New York. Folks, uh, in the case of Elizabeth City, North Carolina, a judge has refused to publicly release body camera video showing North Carolina Sheriff's deputies shooting and killing Andrew Brown Jr. We'll show you exactly what we were able to get yesterday from the city and talk to one of the family attorneys. Congressional seats have been lost as a result of 2020 census. Some states have picked them up. Some states have lost them. We'll talk to Congresswoman Yvette Clark of New York, explain New York losing one of the seats and what that could mean for black power. Uh, one of the issues that President Biden will talk about tonight is the police accountability as well as race equity. We'll talk with an official with the National Urban League, uh, and they have released a report that deals with some of the issues that need to be addressed. Plus, we have reports of police abuse in Georgia, California, and Colorado. Folks, all that and more right here on Roland Martin Unfiltered. It's time to bring the funk. Let's go. folks. Uh, glad to have you here uh, today for the special edition of Roller Martin Unfiltered. Normally we are live at 6 p.m. Eastern, but because President Joe Biden will be speaking to a joint session of Congress, we chose to go live at 7. And then, of course, we'll be carrying his speech uh, at uh, at uh, 8, 9 p.m. And so we'll have a pre-discussion uh, prior to that plus post. Let's talk about Elizabeth City, North Carolina, where today a North Carolina judge denied the media's request to release the four body cam videos in the case of Andrew Brown Jr. But Judge Jeffrey Foster did rule the videos from multiple body cameras and footage from one dashboard camera must be shown to Brown's family within the next 10 days. The court is going to find that with regard to the media's request for release that uh, the media is not a party contemplated under 132-1.4G uh, for release. Uh, uh, it, but if they were, and it was appropriate to release to them, uh, the court undertook the analysis under G with regard to release of recordings and finds that um, uh, there is uh, evidence that the release would advance a compelling public interest. Uh, there is evidence that the recording contains information that is otherwise confidential or exempt from disclosure or release under state or federal law. Um, the court finds that the petitioner is not a person requesting uh, or seeking to obtain evidence to determine legal issues in a current potential court proceeding. Uh, the court finds, number four, that it would reveal information regarding a person that is of a highly sensitive and personal nature. 
Number five, that the release may harm the reputation or jeopardize the safety of a person. Number six, that the release would create a serious threat to the fair, impartial, and orderly administration of justice. And number seven, that um, confidentiality is necessary at this point to protect either an, uh, to protect an active uh, internal and criminal investigation or potential internal criminal investigation. The court therefore finds that, um, that good cause does not exist for granting the petition of the media uh, petitioners, and therefore that petition is respectfully denied by the court. I'm, that is my ruling. I'm going to prepare a order to that effect, and, and that will be prepared uh, sometime this week, and I'll get that out to you uh, in, in a formal written format um, at that time. All right. With regard to 21 CVS 261, the uh, petition of the Pasquotank Sheriff's Department to release uh, records to Khalil Farabee, who is the adult son of the deceased Mr. Brown. The court's going to find uh, as follows, that this matter is properly before the court on the petition to release. Uh, to the extent that notice was required, notice was given by Mr. Uh, with Mr. Williams agreeing to hear the matter on behalf of his clients, but uh, reserving uh, his objection for lack of uh, notice. Uh, the court has jurisdiction in this matter pursuant to GS 132-1.4A and all subparts. Um, after hearing the arguments for the petition and the response from the district attorney for this judicial district and counsel for the respondents of all interested parties, the court finds as follows. One, that the Pasquotank County Sheriff's Department is a custodial law enforcement agency, as that term is defined in the statute. Number two, that Khalil Farabee is a personal representative uh, under 132-1.4C4, uh, and he's a proper person uh, to whom the subject videos may be disclosed. The court considering the factors uh, enumerated in subsection D of the statute. Number four, that the court additionally considers the release of the video. In addition to disclosure, which the court finds is appropriate, I've also considered release under the statute using the same eight criteria. And the court finds that, number one, the release uh, does is a compelling public interest. Number two, that the recording contains information that is otherwise confidential or exempt from disclosure or release under state or federal law. Number three, um, the person requesting release is, seek, is seeking to obtain evidence to determine legal issues in a current or potential court proceeding. But number four, the court finds that release would reveal information regarding a person that is of a highly sensitive personal nature. The court finds number five, that the release may harm the reputation or jeopardize the safety of a person uh, by release. Number six, that the release at this time would create a serious threat to the fair, impartial, and orderly administration of justice. Number seven, confidentiality is necessary to protect an, uh, either an active internal or criminal investigation or a potential internal or criminal investigation. Uh, based on those findings, uh, um, pending completion of the investigation uh, and any decision regarding the uh, prosecution of the potential defendant, the court orders as follows that the five body camera videos be disclosed to Khalil Farabee and his immediate family within one degree of kinship and one attorney licensed to practice law in the state of North Carolina. That is disclosure. Uh, that the video be held from release for a period of no less than 30 days and no more than 45 days. 
and that uh, that will allow to allow completion of any investigation being undertaken by the SBI and by the district attorney's office in this county. Uh, number three, that the state is to notify the court when such investigation is completed and the court in its discretion will consider at that time further release of the video uh, based on the factors as they exist at that time. Uh, the disclosure of the video shall occur within 10 days and the Pasquotank County Sheriff's Department is ordered to blur or redact all facial and identifying features of the officers shown prior to disclosure. That means facial features, name tags, any identifying information of those officers prior to disclosure. The court in its final order in this matter will specify the time frames within which the video may be disclosed. In viewing the video, there were certain uh, portions of the video that were uh, conversations between officers, between superiors. Uh, I'm going to evaluate those videos, determine which portions are appropriate for release and uh, or for disclosure, I'm sorry. And then we'll uh, provide that in my order so that the videos can be properly prepared to be disclosed to the family. Uh, all that uh, to be accomplished within the next 10 days. Judge Foster will reconsider whether to release the videos in 30 to 45 days after the State Bureau of Investigation completes its investigation and a charging decision is made. Also during the hearing, D.A. Andrew Womble claimed the video showed Brown hitting officers with his car. Also, the FBI is launching a civil rights probe into the death of Andrew Brown Jr. Uh, joining us right now uh, is uh, one of the uh, attorneys uh, for the family, Harry Daniels. Uh, he joins us right now. Harry, this is um, it's, it's very interesting what took place today. Um, yeah. We live streamed we live streamed the hearing. And I swear the D.A. sounded more like the defense attorney for the officers as opposed to an impartial person whose job is to get justice regardless of who is involved. Roland, you're 100% right. I have the same impression. The district attorney is supposed to be the ambassador of justice. He sounded like, sound like the defense attorney. I have never in all my years of practicing law saw anything that I saw today. The county attorney stands up, make a half effort. The district attorney gets up and he goes for almost 30 minutes as though he's a defense attorney. And and the, and the potential defense attorney for the officers, they kind of join in together against the county. Never seen that in my life. Um, the, the judge said uh, they must show this video to the family within 10 days. Is that 10 business days or 10 total days? And when does the clock start? Is it tomorrow? Well, in court, court uh, is 10 total days. It's, we, the courts don't have 10 business days. From 10 days, it can be it can run through the weekend. It doesn't matter. 10 days is 10 is 10 days. Uh, so that means so the, the and so who decides they get to see the video? The sheriff's department or the district attorney? No, pursuant to the statute, if you are a person represented based on the statute, you get to see the video. So we have identifiable uh, personal rep personal representatives pursuant to the statute, and those individuals will have the opportunity to see the video. His right, no, 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 what I'm saying is, but who shows the video? Is it the DA's office or is it the Sheriff's Department? Uh, the Sheriff's Office. So, sheriff. so, today is it, so the today is the 28th, so they must see, they must, based upon that deadline, the family must see these videos by May 8th. That's correct, the judge said he had to look at, look at some further redactions as it relates to maybe communication, identifying people's name, 
and or uh, obviously faces and name tags. But you got to remember, Roland, it's a it's a video of these individuals driving up on a truck like a mob squad. So people already know who they are based on that video. Uh, and we're talking about a city of 17,000, 17,000 people. Uh, and of course, uh, in, uh, in, in the in, in the county as well. Uh, and so so let's slow down. When the judge said that 30 to 45 days in terms of uh, then uh, it should be made a release to the public. So now we're talking about uh, that video may very well uh, not be not come out until either uh, the end of May or mid June. Uh 10 days, 45, I mean... Well, no, no, so, so, so the 10 days is when the family gets to see it. I'm talking about when, when it may very well get, get released to the public. Yeah, that's correct. That's correct. It may be end of June, maybe July. And so there's no guarantee with that uh, based on what the judge stated before in his order. Uh, the governor has called for a special prosecutor. Can, can you explain to our viewers and listeners exactly what the North Carolina statute is? Because uh, I was talking to Reverend Dr. William J. Barber uh, when I was down there as well as today, and he said that uh, the DA has to ask the AG to take it over. The AG simply can't, doesn't have the authority to take it over. That's correct. Actually, I talked to the Attorney General Josh Stein a couple of days back, and he expressed to me that in North Carolina, the district attorney has original jurisdiction, uh, and the attorney general cannot take it over uh, just because. The attorney general more than likely will appoint a special prosecutor in order to do so, but in North Carolina, the DA has jurisdiction, and it has to be requested by the DA in order for that to happen. So that is that is correct. Um, are you, uh, and are you and the other lawyers, are you asking this district attorney, Andrew Womble, to recuse himself and for him to invite in the state attorney general to take over this case? We need, we need an independent, independent prosecution away from Pasquotank County. You're talking about deputy sheriffs involved, and we believe to be an unjustified shooting. And you have the district attorney, in fact, is a prosecutor, prosecuting officer using the situation rolling you will have judges in that county recuse themselves or they will send the case to another county because so closely knitted and related to that particular county. so yes we are asking for an independent prosecutor uh, appointed by the governor appointed by the state the um in, in, ter in terms of the next step uh, obviously the protests continue my understanding uh that uh, a group of pastors they are planning to have a march on sunday the funeral is a funeral for andrew brown jr still slated to take place on monday yes it is it's still slated to take place on monday monday i believe 12 o'clock and one thing martin uh, martin i mean roland i want to um say that i listened to this district attorney talks about a car, you know, Andrew, a car making contact to one of the deputies while he was backing up. Well, Roland, he was backing up and the officer was trying to reach, open the door. Officer is going to make contact. And then he went forward and made contact again. What you did not hear is that Andrew Brown used that car as a weapon. Contact, weapon, two different things. Two different things. So that, let me get that very clear. And, and for this public to understand, Andrew Brown was shot in the back of his head while he was driving away. Bullets riddled his car in the rear while he was driving away. Driving away. Point blank. That's the facts. The autopsy shows the bullet wounds in the back of his head. That's the facts. So this narrative, this cherry picking that this DA is doing, to I, I don't know if he's trying to taint the jury, but that's his whole thing, that he didn't want to taint the investigation. They didn't want to taint the jury. 
But the only person that was taking the investigation and taking the jury today was the election district attorney, uh, Andrew Wilmer. Here's the question. Who actually is running the investigation? We don't know. I mean, as far as investigation, they say the SBI is running the investigation. The FBI is in now for a probe uh, as well. So you may have to earn investigations. One thing I would tell you that the, the county officials in Pasco Tank County, as it relates to the county, uh, the sheriff, and the district attorney, they are incompetent. The, the argument that I saw today from the district attorney it was appalling and disgusting. Then the position he took to try to admonish one of the members of our legal teams based on the video that she was given, the 20 seconds, 20 seconds redaction is appalling. Is appalling. He should have never done that. And, and we are, are in defense of her. She's truthful. She has uh, character and she's very professional. She has no reason to lie, to agitate. Ms. Lash is a fine lawyer, point blank period, a fine attorney. So we don't know right now. We don't know if the district attorney is leading the investigation, if the State Bureau of Investigation is leading it. Is somebody going to come out and lay claim to so we people know exactly who's doing what? When I was at the home of Andrew Brown Jr. where he lives, uh, we showed the video yesterday. I interviewed the landlord. Two investigators with the, with the SBI stopped by there uh, to try to see if there were video cameras that were on the inside, and those cameras uh, were removed. And so, again, what's crazy is who do you point to who's actually the folks to talk to? There's been no public statement. No one has come out to say we are in charge of this investigation. If you have any information, contact us. You, you know, you know, Roland, you know, Roland, what the SBI actually stated today in court, that they had no objections to the release of this video. If they are the investigatory body and they have no objection, objection, why does the district attorney have objections? Wait, wait, hold on, wait, hold on. So in court today, the State Bureau of Investigation says they don't object to the video. The sheriff don't object and the State Bureau of Investigation had no objection. They made no representation, but they didn't object. They had they had no objection to the release of the video. If the investigatory body investigation has no problem objecting, why the hell is the district attorney having a problem getting this video released out to the public? And and to your add and to add to the point about these cameras that were located at Mr. Brown House, well, the SBI is in charge of investigation. SBI said we didn't get any cameras. The landlord said, yeah, it, it was cameras there. So the question is, Roland, who took the camera? Yeah, and in, in fact, yeah, I talked to that landlord yesterday, and what he told me was, he said there were two cameras. That was a ring camera, and that was a second camera. He said those cameras have been removed. He does not know who took the cameras and who possesses the cameras. Correct, correct. And, and the SBI investigation, they're very interested in those cameras. I'm not making any suggestion on anybody else, but... The only people who was on the scene at that time in security scene was a Pasco Tank County Sheriff's Office. So where's the cameras? Where's those cameras? They couldn't take the city cameras because the city maintained the custodial possession. Those cameras were released. They didn't take the cell phone footage after the fact when they drug Mr. Brown out of the car after they had shot him dead. But anything in close proximity, it's not there. The body cam, the dash cam, now we have the ring doorbell cam and the other camera. It's missing because the doorbell, doorbell cam and the ring cam is not a possession or footage by law enforcement. If that camera is in the possession of the county, they must turn it over 
immediately because it's subject to the Public Record, Open Records Act. Right. And how in the world can the sheriff's department be investigating those sales? This is that's why it, there's so many different questions here uh, that need to be answered. Uh, Harry Daniels, we certainly appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Roland. Folks, uh, yesterday we were in Elizabeth City, North Carolina, and we got possession of Harry. Just You just heard Harry mention uh, the video. Uh, we could not play it yesterday. We had to bring it back here. Now we were able to play the video. Now, remember yesterday I showed you that camera that was actually uh, pointed. Uh, it was two cameras, one pointed in different, they were pointed in different directions. This is the video from the Elizabeth City Police Department. Uh, listen to the audio on here as well. Guys, go ahead and play it. the problem so look this is the first piece of video that we've actually been able to see this is the problem with the video as you see the camera picks up the traffic uh that is coming on the main road the problem guys start the video over the the, the, the problem that you have here uh with this video uh so i want i want y'all to start it over i want y'all to start it over okay i want you to start it over start stuff go from the top start it over please go back to the top Okay, so no, 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 go back to the, go to the beginning. I'll tell you when to play it. Guys, go back to the beginning. I'll tell you when to play it. So what you see is, okay, again, stop, okay? And what you see here, you see this, this Ford Sheriff's truck, all right, carrying what appears to be uh, six or seven officers. I know there's one driving, not sure if there's another person in the passenger seat. Now... Roll it, then stop it. Stop. So you see right there, this now is the side profile uh, of, of, of the vehicle. And now there, there is a portion of this, there's a gap that is missing. It's a, it's a short gap uh, that is missing in this video. You see now, play it, then stop it. Stop. So you see uh, the officer, if there's any way we can bump in on that video, I would appreciate it. The bottom line is you see the tailgate is open. You see several officers, on the, several, several, several deputy sheriffs uh, on the back of that truck. The problem is how that camera is positioned. You're going to see, now roll the video and then stop it. Stop. So that's where we were yesterday, okay? They are approaching that driveway while I was broadcasting the show. Roll it, then stop it. Okay, right there. So the problem is this here. You do not, that camera does, is not a wide angle lens. It is, it is only capturing the intersection in both directions. It's not actually capturing uh, what happens once they get out of the vehicle. Now, turn the audio up and then press play.
Now, what you're seeing is, let it keep rolling, and so you're seeing um, a vehicle that was a white police car that pulled up behind him as another police car, a police truck that is actually blocking the intersection. Uh, and so uh, that's, that's what you're seeing here. Turn the audio up, please. Association Political Action Committee, Robert Patillo, Executive Director, Rainbow Push Coalition, Peach Street Street Project, Monique Presley, Legal Analyst and Crisis Manager. Again, keep the video rolling, please. Uh, I want you to keep it rolling. So uh, I, I want to start. Um, I want to start with uh, you, Robert. Looking at this so again, part of the problem is we are not able to see in that top right-hand corner exactly what took place. Um, based upon what the family attorney said, the officers uh, uh, came out. Now, folks, did the video pause? Uh, did it freeze? Because I still hear audio. Okay, so not sure why it's on a freeze frame here. Uh, but, Robert, uh, just your assessment of what we know and don't know right now. Well, uh, it was great for to hear from Harry Daniels, who I've worked with before. I think Bakari Sellers is also working on the case. So it's an outstanding legal team representing the family. Uh, but what we saw was a, a legal lynch mob. We saw them ride in on the back of the pickup trucks, uh, like something out of Mississippi burning, uh, and then attack this man. Look at the amount of police presence for what uh, ostensibly was a drug warrant. Uh, not for uh, Osama bin Laden, not for the Unabomber, but for a drug warrant. You're sitting in trucks and vehicles uh, to, uh, to capture this individual. 
individual. Um, additionally, let's look at what the uh, independent autopsy has shown us. You have, uh, I believe, three to four bullet wounds into the arm and then a shot to the back of the head, um, nearly execution style. Uh, even given the testimony or the statements by the district attorney's office taken in the light most reasonable or, or that puts the prosecution or more so that puts the officers in the best light, they are alleging that they were touched by the vehicle. Not that anyone was injured or run over, but they made contact with the vehicle and that justified a bullet hole to the back of the head. None of this is making sense. I think the judge is showing uh, a due discretion uh, in, uh, in waiting to release the uh, body cam footage. The reason being is I, I wouldn't want this to go all the way to trial, let's say. And then they say, well, because the body cam image in the uh, police uh, squad car footage was released so early, that somehow that tainted the jury. Somehow that makes it more difficult for the prosecution later on down the line to prosecute the case. So I, I do believe the judge made the right ruling in that case. But th we do have additional questions. We all know anybody who has a ring doorbell knows that that records to a cloud, not uh, to the device. So where is the uh, video footage from uh, from the cloud that was re recorded on that doorbell? And when will all this information be released both to the family and to the public? Um, this is a tragic case, and it's another instance where, uh, thank God, there's video evidence, because otherwise we would only have the testimony of the police officers, and we have seen for decades now that the police officers are always believed uh, over the decedent. Uh, Monique, this is the uh, autopsy uh, image that was released on yesterday. Uh, and you see right here uh, where they show where the bullet went to the back uh, of his head. Uh, and then uh, they release this here. If we can zoom in tighter, that'd be great. Uh, I want to, because I want to show this right here. So keep going, keep going. And they show uh, where he was hit uh, multiple times uh, in uh, his right arm uh, as well. Um, the thing that is is so perplexing to me was so perplexing to me uh monique is that we don't know literally who the hell is leading the investigation we don't, is it the da is it the sheriff's department is it the state bureau of investigation who to go to they're not talking i haven't seen a spokesperson come out you heard harry daniels say the state bureau of, the state bureau of investigation said they got no problem with the body cam footage being released but the da is fighting it I, I, what what the hell? <laughs> I'm certain there's three different investigations going on. So the district attorney is collecting data, evidence, whatever he needs to consider to make his decision. And but we don't know that. Contingent. But here's the problem. He actually we, we do know is because we heard him today in court. We we heard him say in court that he is asking for it to be held until his investigation is concluded and he has made a charging decision. So you, you know, so he has an investigation going. So he has an investigation going. FBI. The SBI has one and apparently yes. the sheriff's has one. Now there's an internal investigation. Yes. But, but the issue here is who is the lead agency because Who's collecting uh, the Who's collecting the evidence? Is the sheriff's department collecting evidence? Uh, again, if the attorneys and the, and the landlord, when I talk to them, who says I don't know who came and got the camera, who has what? Right, they work in conjunction 
um, with each other. And I'm sure that most everything that needed to be collected from the scene, that that happened the same day, day or evening of the shooting. It's concerning that the landlord doesn't know who has the cameras because that shouldn't have been done without informing him who was taking them, what government body was taking them and pursuant to what. Um, so that's an issue. And if there's somebody else who received that notice, then that person would have that information because they can't just do it without informing what they're doing. And in terms of who's leading, um, it, the lead for this legal defense today was the DA, but the DA is never primary in terms of an investigation. That would be a law enforcement arm that then turns over its information. And the DA can at the same time have its own investigators um, who are seeking information, but usually there's an internal investigation and this external one, and the DA is going to look at all of that information and make a decision. Scott, can you make any sense uh, to all of this? Because frankly, uh, it's confusing to the family attorneys, confusing to the family, people in Elizabeth City uh, as well, and us too. Well, uh, I think Monique is right about the structure and the procedures in regard to these investments. I was about to say, Scott, I thought I was making sense. Um, yes, you were. You yeah, but were. That, yeah, but the reason you asked the question the way I did is to give Scott an opportunity to talk. So pipe down. <laughs> so pipe down and let me ask the question the way I do as a host so Scott can now get involved in the conversation. Because this is show. Right. It. So what that means, Monique, is shut the hell up. <laughs> See, I, didn't I mean, like, I didn't want to have to go there, but damn, can I ask the question so Scott can now answer? You, you always tell you always tell Scott not to interrupt you, you. Can you not interrupt him? Scott, please continue. That was a good interruption. In any event, Scott, go. Um, Monique is right about uh, the procedural posture and the structure of these investigations. I did read in a recent report that for the SBA to get to the table, to be in court or to be assisting, they have to be invited uh, by the, either the DA or the county. And I believe that invitation came from the DA. And so the SBA that has some sense of independence, some sense of independence is certainly there. And I would presume safely that they're gonna be a big part of the investigation or the lead investigators uh, for the DA. That's safe to assume. Secondly, I know who has those cameras, the door and the ring bell and those two cameras and nobody knows where they are. I know they left with the people who shot uh, Andrew Brown, by the way. They didn't leave those cameras there because when they cleaned up the scene, they took those. Those cameras are gone. I hope I'm wrong. But if I was in if I was in their position, shooter's position, uh, I would have taken the cameras and basically gotten rid of them. But we'll see. This is 17,000. Uh, person, uh, community, if you will. The judges know the DAs, the DAs know the police. It's an incestuous relationship, and they had a cluster F here. Because I can tell you on the, under Tennessee v. Garner, and I say this on your show all the time, it is unlawful for the police to shoot a nonviolent fleeing felon. 
It's been the law since 1987 or 1986. It's a Supreme Court decision. Go read it. It fits this mold. And touching the police with your car because your intent is to get away because you fear for your safety, i.e., they're not, he's not the police, but he is the victim now, right? Shooting into a car that is trying to get away with no one shooting back at you. What training did South Carolina Sheriff's Office get to say that was safe? In fact, shooting into a moving car surrounded by police officers has got to be one of the most unsafe things you can do. In fact, your own police officers or sheriff officers could be shot through friendly fire. So it makes absolutely no sense. And then considering that they're not releasing this video, the two things I want to say real quick. The judge's order, I thought there were two interesting things. One, the judge found that releasing it would be would put these officers' public safety at risk. And he's probably right about that because the kill shot to the back of the head, whether it was execution style or whether it was shooting at the back of the uh, car through that back window and caught him in the back of the head, really doesn't make any difference. And then secondly, what the court said was that it was going to review a second set of videos with the police, the sheriff, and their supervisors, and what they were talking about that night after the shooting. Now, I must tell you, that's a piece of evidence going to get in the court if this case is ever litigated criminally or civilly. But why would you want to review that unless you were trying to protect the prosecution, or rather yet, protect the officers who were involved, if you will? We call that getting your story straight after you either do you have your drop gun or not in most cases or what's our story going to be here i guarantee you that second piece about that conversation with the supervisors is something you really do want to hear about but that probably won't see the light of day unless there's litigation uh it is really clear here um uh robert that again uh, as far as i'm looking at this here uh, how the da uh is operating uh, when you look at, and the collection of evidence is critically important because you don't want stuff tampered with. We know for a fact, we know for a fact that when Laquan McDonald was shot and killed, that Chicago cops went to the nearby Burger King, walked yeah. in, requested to see that footage, and they erased, they erased yeah. the footage that was on that Burger King uh, camera. And Boom. so... And so, again, having that, I mean, that the city controlled that particular view, but you've got neighbors who may have had ring cameras. The ring camera in, uh, th in, th in that particular uh, uh, home as well could easily show it. And so, th so then the question is, who has that? Who controls that? And so uh, that's why people down there are not trusting of this district attorney, and the pressure is, is going to be throttled up. Uh, to, to get him to recuse himself to allow the state attorney general come in so the people and the family can believe there's going to be a credible investigation. Yeah, you're absolutely correct. And I think uh, part of what we, uh, the reason this election was so important was now we have a competent Department of Justice. They just announced today that they're going to be investigating the Ahmaud Arbery shooting as a hate crime to investigate these things from a federal level. When we had Jeff Sessions and Bill Barr there, there was no federal backstop to uh, to go back upon. Uh, but turning to just this issue of the neighbor's uh, ring video doorbell, I do think we need to find out who, one, who took the camera because the doorbell should actually have a video of the person 
person taking the camera down uh, as part of this anti-tampering um, aspect of it. You can also contact the doorbell maker who has a GPS tracker inside of it and see exactly where the thing is located at right now. Again, it does not have a hard drive or a memory chip in it. It's recorded to a cloud. So there should be a cloud recording of everything that happened, uh, whether they have the physical camera or not. So those are things that are going to be coming out of the net several days. Um, all in all, it looks like a terrible situation for the police. And it's going to be interesting to see what type of defense they mount or if they simply are trying to sort out which officers will be charged with what at this point in time. Uh, but in general, this sort of killing is indefensible uh, and under any police protocols. My, my eldest sister was a police officer in Charlotte's Macklesburg uh, County there in, um, in North Carolina for nearly 30 years. Um, they do have a history of police brutality of, of excessive force cases uh, in, mm. that, uh, in that area. And it's important that we take a look back at many of the other cases that have a similar factual background but existed in an area where there were not cameras at to find out who else needs to be provided justice in this case. I think we are at the, the beginning of this, not at the middle or at the end, and more evidence will be coming down the pipe. Um, and, the, and the reality here, um, Monique, in terms of the questions, the questions that, that keep per persisting, uh, the folks there say uh, they're going to continue the protest to keep the pressure on. Um, and their plans um, underway, calling for uh, national figures to come in to exert the level of pressure uh, to ratchet up. Uh, at the news conference yesterday, uh, Attorney Bakari Sellers talked about also uh, the issues with the North Carolina law, uh, because the reality is that they don't actually have to go to court to get a judge to compel them to release it. So you, you have sort of this hodgepodge, if you will, where they can release it. They don't have to release it. Uh, and he says that the law should be changed in that state that compels uh, law enforcement 40, at least no more than 48 hours after a police-involved shooting for body camera footage to be released. You look at what happened in Columbus. They got that video out in less than 12 hours. And that limited, in many ways, a lot of the speculation uh, that people had uh, about that particular shooting as well. The way that the law is set up in North Carolina, and that's why the, the part that concerned me the most about today's hearing um, was the judge going through and deciding unnecessarily and making a decision on some of those elements, even though he had already decided that the press didn't have standing to try to get the video. He went ahead and said, but I do find this, I do find this, I do find this. That's, that's, that's coding, that's precursor, because it could turn out that it's never made publicly available based on the way that that law is set up. Even if uh, the district attorney if the district attorney decided not to charge, but also decided that there was a continuing and ongoing safety matter for those officers, um, it may never get publicly seen. And that defies entirely the reason that we have the body cam footage in the first place. And it is, it is an insult to a family to show them a video with faces blurred where they don't even know who killed their own family member at a minimum you should be getting that getting that information not from the grapevine not from somebody else's video who was a citizen you should be given the respect that is due you and be given that information scott um everyone kept saying when we were there transparency 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 uh and the fact that you have um a sheriff's department that wants to do more, 
Then you have a DA who, first of all, when the shooting took place, uh, I talked to Reverend Spearman, who heads the North Carolina State Conference at the NAACP. Uh, when he called his office, the DA, they said the DA was going to be gone for five days and couldn't be reached. And he said, what the hell are you talking about? This major shooting and he can't be reached? And then, of course, uh, on Monday, he announces he's running for another office, uh, and, but he found time to actually make that particular announcement as well. Uh, I don't, the sense that I get from there, folks do not trust this DA, uh, and uh, they believe that he should recuse himself. Um, you know, but the bottom line is he can only make that decision. They can't force him to recuse himself. He has to make that call, and he clearly uh, is resisting those calls so far. Do you trust him just based on your limited information? Hell no. In the circumstances? No, I, I don't, I certainly look, I, don't, I don't trust anybody who can't, who, uh, who's afraid to talk, who's afraid to, uh, to, to speak. And I got a serious problem when the sheriff's department is showing the video, even that 20 seconds to the family, and no one from the DA's office was present, and they're in the same building. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. And this DA, remember... After they met with the uh, police officers, the, the family's legal team, including Bakari Sellers, afterwards, the press conference, which got really heated, well, apparently it got heated in this initial meeting. And it's the DA who told Bakari. No, 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 no. That was the county attorney. So, so that was the county attorney. So the county attorney, that's why it was crazy. Sheriff's right. Department was there. You have the county attorney who's hired by the county. He was present, uh, and he was the one who cussed at uh, Bakari. But, but right. I, I specifically asked at the news conference, was anyone from the DA's office present? They said no. And I'm going, are you serious? Wow. Yeah. Wow. So, so the, DA, the biggest problem with the DA is the DA early on, because, it's again, it's, it's Elizabeth City. The DA has a very, very cozy relationship with the police and the sheriff. They deal with each other every day. They prosecute cases together. It's a hand-to-glove relationship, and the DA sees his role as protecting the police. He did in court. He didn't show up for that initial meeting with the lawyers. And on a day-to-day -day basis, they are interacting, and they need each other to prosecute crime. Now, with that in mind, there is it begs for a special prosecutor. Now, the governor has called for a special prosecutor, or an independent prosecutor. It'll be interesting to see how much political sway the, gov the governor of South Carolina is prepared to invoke, uh, or rather North Carolina, to invoke in order to force this DA to agree to a special prosecutor or an independent prosecutor, because that's the only way it's going to take it. Remember, the DA is running for another office, right. and so politics eventually are going to overwhelm how this case gets investigated, who gets prosecuted, does the video get out, look for the governor, hopefully, to take a strong hand in this and politically force the local officials' hand. I want to but bring, you need an independent I, I, prosecutor. I want to bring in Congresswoman Yvette Clark. We're going to talk to her about something else, but I do want to bring her in because this case 
that's taking place right now in Elizabeth City, North Carolina, just says and it, it says why the George Floyd Justice Act is so important. Uh, the, the effort is on right now. Congresswoman Karen Bass uh, is driving this on the House side. You have Senators Cory Booker and Tim Scott uh, on, uh, and Senator Dick Durbin on the Senate side. Uh, and, 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 and this, the need for uh, police reform uh, when it comes to events, situations like this is critically important. Absolutely. Roland, you know, the, the, the cases keep coming and the circumstances under which uh, black people have to live uh, in, in policing in our nation it has, has reached an all time low. And, and so we have got to pass the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act. There's, there's no getting around it. Uh, you know, it's in our faces, it's in our Bollywood. The uh, Biden administration is 100% on board. And, and I think the American people are fed up with uh, having to be traumatized again and again with respect to these, um, what I call state-sponsored um, killings uh, by, by police officers that are hired to, to protect and to serve. And then the cover-ups. The, the ways in which they have distorted the truth. I mean, even with George Floyd's case, had there not been video, uh, you know, what was first reported, nothing could have been further from the truth. So uh, we, we want to encourage everyone, continue to keep the pressure on the United States Congress to pass the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act. Um, police accountability is going to be one of the issues that is going to come up tonight uh, in the uh, address to Congress by President Joe Biden. Absolutely. I, I have no doubt that that will be the case. That's front of mind. I mean, again, uh, right on the heels of, of George Floyd's uh, assassination murder, um, you know, we've seen at least uh, seven others uh, either killed or uh, just uh, physically accosted, humiliated, uh, as in the case of the uh, Army lieutenant in, in Virginia. And, and so I think that the level of consciousness around renegade policing in this nation is, is at an all-time high and must be addressed. Um, one of the other issues that uh, will also uh, come out, and I want, to, I want you to speak to, is this whole notion of race equity. Uh, this uh, President Biden made this a part of the portfolio of uh, Susan Rice uh, to deal with the issue of race equity, and and the reality is the federal government uh, has some significant. Um, uh, leverage, if you will, when it comes to uh, contracts, when it comes to uh, how um, it, it can drive this issue. And uh, the federal government can serve, frankly, as a leader to also lead to changes. What's happening in corporate America uh, on, ca on, on Capitol Hill, you and others can and call corporate leaders uh, to Washington, D.C. Uh, to testify in hearings. And so uh, that, that, that idea of race equity also has to be front and center if we're going to move this nation forward. Absolutely. You, you, you said, you know, uh, what everyone, when I say everyone in the Democratic caucus has been talking about ever since uh, the beginning of the 117th session and the election of the Biden-Harris uh, administration. The, 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 the call for, for racial equity uh, was laid bare 
by the pandemic, by all of the injustices, particularly in policing leading into the pandemic, leading through this pandemic, uh, the, the health care toll, the lives, the livelihoods. Uh, what we saw with respect to uh, the Trump administration's uh, essentially uh, just marginalizing and, and bringing harm uh, to these very communities uh, by his, his, his uh, supremacist policies. Uh, all of that, I think, has generated a movement where the understanding is broadly held, uh, regardless of race, regardless of ethnicity or gender, that there has to be equity in this country. That's the only way that we are going to be able to move forward as a just, a fair um, society. And everyone's ready. Well, in the Democratic caucus, I'll say that again. We're, we're, we're ready. We're focused on an equity agenda. And that even translates into the districts that we all represent. Uh, one of the, we booked you to talk about the census. So one of the things that we did was we were highly critical uh, of uh, Young and Rubicam for how they uh, doled out dollars uh, to get the word out when it came to the census. Uh, when Congressman Stephen Horsford, who led the CBC Census Task Force, was on here, I said to him that CBC should demand an audit of exactly where all the money was spent, who it went to, uh, what specific media entities, because we're now seeing the result. Your state, New York, has lost a seat in Congress because they were 89 votes shy. Uh, we're now seeing uh, Illinois is going to be losing a particular uh, uh, seat in Congress. Northeastern states are going to be losing seats. Big gains will be taking place in Florida and Texas. Well, the reality is this here. Uh, that could very well shift the balance of power. Democrats only have a three-seat uh, majority in the Congress because <coughs> of the death of Congressman Alcee Hastings in Florida. Uh, and so... The undercounting of African-Americans and Latinos uh, is of a huge concern. And, and, I, and, and clearly the Trump folk did not give a damn. The red state governors didn't give a damn. But I still, I still believe this is where the CBC should be, should be saying we want hearings and investigation of where the money was spent, was it properly spent, and did we get the best we could get with the millions of dollars that were allocated to achieve uh, a, a strong census number? Well, let me say that, first of all, uh, being losing an entire congressional seat because 89 people uh, did not respond or their response re arrived too late to be counted in the census is, is, is particularly egregious. That, that's a disenfranchisement of, of, of a state delegation, and by extension, the people of the state of New York for 89 responses, there, there are many questions that we have to ask in unpacking what happened in the 2020 census. And I think that, if, you know, if we have a committee on, on the Hill that are primed and pumped to be able to go into that. At the end of the day, we had a, an administration that telegraphed very early on that they wanted to disrupt the 2020 census aided with, of course, uh, the outbreak of a once-in-a-century pandemic. You know, it, it, it was a perfect storm for undercounting communities that have been hard to count from the outset. Because these were the same communities that were devastated by COVID-19. These are the same communities that were targeted 
with rhetoric around uh, putting a citizenship question on the form, even prior to the pandemic. This is, these are the same communities that had their postal service dismantled and then had an administration move the deadline by which all uh, people had to respond. Uh, I, I'm just so uh, through with, with, with the way in which uh, we had against insurmountable odds uh, the, 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 to, to deliver on this census. And I wanna first of all say how grateful I am to the folks on the ground. You know, the community did everything they could with one hand tied, or some would say both hands tied behind their back, including our media, to get everyone to respond to the 2020 census. But we had some really insurmountable odds. I wanna thank, you know, all of our organizations who understood how critical this was. But I mean, I think that there were a whole host of things that stood in our way in getting a fair and accurate count in 2020. And uh, New York State is gonna be paying a price for that. All right then, Congressman Yvette, Yvette Clark, we appreciate it, thanks a lot. Thank you for having me. All right, uh, gotta go to break, we come back. Uh, we'll talk to our panel about some of those issues and also the feds today indicting the three men involved in the death of Ahmaud Arbery on civil rights charges. That is next on Roland Martin Unfiltered. He's delivering three million shots a day, 200 million doses so far, 150 million stimulus checks delivered, a million jobs created, more jobs in the first two months than any administration in history. Plans to rebuild America's roads and bridges and create two million more jobs funded by corporations paying their fair share. President Biden getting America back on track. The Democratic National Committee is responsible for the content of this advertising. Hi, I'm Kim Burrell. Hi, I'm Carl Payne. Hey, everybody, this is Sherry Shepard. You're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. All right, folks, uh, some good news uh, came uh, out of uh, Georgia today when the Department of Justice announced uh, that they are bringing uh, civil rights charges. Uh, first of all, they announced the federal grand jury has indicted the three men charged for the death of Ahmaud Arbery on hate crimes charges. Gregory McMichael, his son Travis McMichael, and William Roddy Bryan have been charged with one count of interference with rights and one count of attempted kidnapping. Travis and Gregory McMichael were also charged with one count each of using, carrying, and brandishing a firearm doing an, doing an in relation to a crime of violence. Travis was also charged with discharging a firearm doing an in relation to a crime of violence. The three men chased and fatally shot Arbery while he was jogging last year. Uh, this is... Um, uh, a big deal there, uh, Robert, uh, that particular decision there. Uh, one of the things that uh, former Attorney General Eric Holder often complained about was the limited ability of the Department of Justice uh, to pursue federal civil rights charges against folks uh, in uh, actions that was mainly with police. This is different. Well, you know, I think this is the, why we have to understand the crucial importance of elections and the crucial importance of having an empowered attorney general. Uh, many of our civil rights laws, which are on the books right now, are laws that were put, were put in place in, in the 1960s. And it's very difficult often to uh, to prosecute, uh, primarily because police departments and individuals have had a half century to figure out how to uh, escape these countermeasures. Uh, we have to continue to monitor these things. And, through, and while Democrats have a majority in the Congress, we 
we have to work on strengthening these uh, civil rights uh, protections and strengthening the Department of Justice's ability to investigate cases of this nature and to prosecute them. Because what we saw often during the Obama administration was uh, Holder or uh, Loretta Lynch would want to investigate, but they simply put did not have the statutory power or authority to do so. So we have to start pushing for those uh, those sorts of gains right now. Because what we have seen when you have someone like Jeff Sessions or Bill Barr or um, some of these other uh, conservative attorney generals in place, they try to use the exact same laws to discriminate against African Americans as opposed to their original intent. Um, Monique? Uh, Merrick Garland is going to prove to be a, a an effective, um, serious-minded, and forward-moving attorney general. And I expect to see more and more of what we've seen just in the past week. Scott? Yeah, you know, let's not forget that these are still really, really tough cases. And so for the AG or DOJ to bring these charges, you got two things at work. You got some great set of facts with him running through the neighborhood. And I believe I've read reports where the subsequent conversations of using uh, racist terms post-shooting are also a really strong fact. And then lastly, you don't have the police shooting someone under color of law, which is a really, really high standard. Still a tough case because you've got to show that the complete basis for the attack and the violation of right was rooted in race, not rooted in something else even and race. It has to be race-based, uh, race and they have to have evidence, uh, witnesses, and documents to support that as a basis for these charges, even though they're civil charges, or I don't know whether they're civil or criminal. Usually they're, they're civil, but it, whether it's criminal or civil, it doesn't really matter. They got some good facts here, and a big factor was this was not a police officer involved in this shooting. Uh, let's stay in Georgia, where a sheriff in Clayton County has pled not guilty to federal charges. Sheriff Victor Hill was accused of violating the civil rights of four detainees at the Clayton County Jail in 2020. The suit, the suit states the Georgia sheriff ordered inmates on multiple occasions to be placed in restraints, restraint chairs for several hours. In a statement released by the DOJ, acting U.S. attorney Kurt Erskine said our Constitution prohibits uh, law enforcement officers from using unreasonable force. Hill's actions, as alleged by the grand jury, deprived the citizens he was sworn to protect of their civil rights. Such abuses of power not only harm the victims, they also erode the community's trust in law enforcement. Hill released his own statement, saying, Today I will begin the process, process of fighting a politically motivated federal legal case. My legal team are the only ones authorized to speak on the details of this matter, and they are confident about the facts of this case. Meanwhile, as we go through this process, I will continue to focus on the mission of fighting crime in Clayton County for continued success. Hill was released on a $50,000 bond and will continue to serve Clayton County Sheriff while he awaits trial. Robert, uh, you that's your part of the uh, part of the country. Uh, Y'all got uh, your own uh, Sheriff David Clark down there? Oh, no, no. Look, and it's going to happen to Victor Hill. We, in, we indict Victor Hill every three or four years just off GP, and he's always fine. Look, he, he, he has a confiscated drug uh, Camaro that he calls the Dark Knight. Then he has a confiscated drug Mercedes Benz he calls the White Knight. Then he rides around fighting crime. Victor Hill is a Victor Hill onto himself, and I think we'll see as these things play out that he'll be just fine after all this. <laughs> 
Uh, we've had uh, I, I brought up I brought up Sheriff David Clark for a reason, uh, Scott, uh, because uh, they were sued where where uh, issues with inmates where one was one died for thirst. They wouldn't give him water. <laughs> Bizarre, without a doubt, and he should be sued. I mean, this whole us versus them mentality in our criminal justice system. If I'm serving or if I'm in the prison system, why is it doesn't have to be us versus them? They're all part of the human condition. Okay, they've been charged, they've been prosecuted, and they're serving the term. Listen, even when they come out, we still prosecute people who have served jail. They can't get a job, they can't go to law school or medical school or business school, at least without significant effort in the support system around them. And I'll be honest with you, some of these, I mean, I hear my colleague uh, Robert talk about this guy as if he's somewhat of a local legend, if you will, and that he'll be okay. Well, he shouldn't be okay because his conduct isn't okay. And, and maybe it's acceptable in the sense that it, uh, that, you know, it's like folklore, if you will. But these are pretty serious charges. I know Robert gets that, but these are pretty serious charges. And the accountability, whether they're black or white law enforcement officers, uh, ought to still be the same and be on the tape. Uh, bottom line is this here, Monique, law enforcement officers, they're not above the law, and inmates still should be treated with respect and decency. And all too often uh, we have, and I don't know why we keep having these damn black sheriffs who act a damn fool. You had that fool in Florida uh, who sat there and said that, that, he, that he was going to uh, deputize people if Black Lives Matter showed up. Uh, he later got indicted for corruption. Uh, and then, of course, you got this dude here uh, in uh, Georgia. Of course, you had David Clark uh, in uh, in Milwaukee. You know, all of this, these fake-ass John Waynes really get on my nerves. Right. Now, Scott is uh, absolutely right. They're all part of the human condition, and every human deserves to be treated with respect across the board. But where um, people who are in custody of the federal government are concerned, they actually have a constitutionally protected right to be treated absent cruel and unusual punishment and to be treated with, with decency. There's a duty of care on the part of any government agency that has human beings who are citizens of the United States or otherwise in their custody and care. And that was violated here if these charges end up being true. So it's it's there's a heightened responsibility um, to take care of and to properly provide for those who are in custodial care. Uh, well, speaking of that, in, in custody, uh, in California, police have released body cam footage of officers pinning a man to the ground for more than five minutes during an arrest causing his death. Police arrived at the scene after receiving a 911 call saying Mario Gonzalez appeared to be disoriented or drunk. When officers requested identification that Gonzalez could not produce, they began taking him into custody. Folks, this is the video here. After pinning Gonzalez down for five minutes, he became unresponsive. Police then attempted CPR on Gonzalez until an ambulance arrived and took him to the hospital where he was pronounced dead. The officers say he had a medical emergency after they tried to handcuff him. An autopsy is pending to determine the cause of his death, but his family is blaming the police. The three officers involved in the arrest are on paid leave until the investigation is complete. Uh, let, the, let the video keep going there. Monique, here's what was, again, we always see this here. The cops lied. 
They put in their report uh, that he was being belligerent, that he was out of control, when actually he wasn't. He actually was cooperating and was calm and talking to them. Well, yeah, I mean, it looks like he's resisting the handcuffs being put on him. Uh, so that's not what law enforcement is going to consider cooperative. If they give commands and those commands aren't followed uh, and the, the uh, suspect does not comply, that they're not going to consider that being cooperative. So calling it belligerent or just calling it refusing to obey police commands, whatever the case may be, uh, it does look like we can see that in the video. But that does not mean that him having a medical emergency and them pinning, pinning him down instead of delivering aid did not cause his death. What they did was they, they literally, Scott, uh, pressed uh, their, their knee uh, in his back. And at one point in the video, uh, one officer uh, was trying to move his knee. But uh, at that point, uh, he had already gone unconscious and he died. And then they lied in their write-up. And you do notice, Roland, and, and, and maybe to the whole panel, the pervasive killing of black and brown men all over the United States. Like, it's not like it's in the South or the East or the West. It's all over. And, and if you think about it, the, the, the reforms, the police reform, isn't about these police departments. It is about every department. It's this... It's this mentality that you go from zero to deadly force. Somebody's got to be able to get somebody handcuffed without killing them. Somebody's got to be able to get a, a person driving away who doesn't have a gun but wants to get away from the police because he fears for his life, a way to stop him without killing him. And all these police do all over the country, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, is it seems like they're trained to go from zero to deadly force in a minute simply to get compliance of the most of the simplest direction. And I guarantee you this, right? If the police, these pervasive killings were of people that did not look like you and me, we put an end to it immediately. There would be a reform bill passed by bipartisanship in the on the Hill and the Senate. And you know what? it would be completely revamped. But because it's black and brown men, it's taking forever. Even doing trials where Chauvin is being convicted, black and brown people, men and women, are still being killed. It is the dumbest thing, craziest thing I've ever seen in my life. In fact, here you can see, right. he's, he may be resisting, but he shouldn't die from it. In fact, Robert, in Colorado, a shocking new video shows officers laughing and joking about the brutal arrest of a 73-year-old woman with disabilities. Hey, I'm 
fighting that everyone's doing one code and cranking for her. Yeah. I was like, I'm fine, I can handle it. I mean, dogs. So, <laughs> I was like, alright, let's wrestle, the girl. Let's wrestle. <laughs> My mama is 73, and I can imagine them sitting here, Robert, um, uh, joking about it. The federal civil rights lawsuit has been filed against the Loveland Police Department and several officers who assaulted uh, Karen Garner. The suit states that Loveland police broke Garner's humerus, dislocated her shoulder, sprained her wrist during a violent arrest that took place last June. Garner has dementia and has sensory aphasia, which impairs her ability to talk and understand others. The senior citizen was arrested for walking out of a Walmart with $13.88 worth of items. The family is devastated because they say police treated Garner like an animal. They want the arresting officers involved and the authorities that hired them to be fired. Robert, your thoughts? Uh, well, let's just think about what America is at this point. When a 70-year-old white woman named Karen gets beat by the cops. And that's not <laughs> right. enough for America to understand that we have to re revamp the way that we do policing in this country. I don't know what is. There's a, a very startling stat out there that there are upwards of three police killings per day in America, over a thousand per year, um, take place in this country. No mm -hmm. other Western nation has numbers along those lines. Imagine three people get killed by alligators uh, per day. We will get rid of all the damn alligators pretty quickly. But we are willing to accept three people being killed by cops every single day of the year, year in and year out in this country, and not think that there's any need to pass any sorts of police reforms and reforms that they have in the rest of the world. And I'm, I'm often on Iranian TV and other Middle Eastern nations, and it's impossible to defend American policing, even to uh, dictatorial regimes, even to regimes that hurt, uh, that violate human mm -hmm. rights around the world. How do you talk to the Chinese about their oppression of the Uyghurs when you have three people getting killed by the police every day here? How do we talk about the genocide in Myanmar when three people are getting killed by the police every single day in America? So until we take this seriously, it's going to be nearly impossible for us to regain our status in the world. And I don't understand why this was not agenda item number one for the new administration, because it's a crucial issue, particularly for black and brown communities and apparently for 70-year-old women named Karen also. Uh, I don't get it. And y'all, $13.88, really? All of that? Shoplifting. All of that but, but, is required for $13.88? Are we serious? Roland, I don't care if she walked out with a cash register and a big screen TV under her arm. Still, this will not be, not be uh, 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 the proper way to police. No, 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 no. But, but, but again, but my whole point is, uh, again, you take these small, uh, small, small crimes, and uh, and you see this sort of action. It makes no sense, folks. And this is why police reform uh, is critically important. Of course, le legislation has been introduced in many states to combat police brutality and mass incarceration. The National Urban League announced its 21 pillars for redefining public safety and restoring community trust. Uh, let's talk about that with Jerrica Richardson. She is the Senior Vice President for Equal Justice and Strategic Justice. Initiatives with the National Urban League. Uh, this is going to be an issue tonight, Jerrica, uh, when uh, President Biden speaks to Congress. Uh, Jerrica, one second, guys. Uh, I can't hear. I can hear. I can hear in the control room speaking, but I can't hear. Okay. All right. Let's try it now. Jerrica, go ahead. Thank you so there we much go. for 
<laughs> Thank you so much for having me, Roland. And it is definitely an issue and one that's on the forefront and one that the Biden administration really has to continue pushing for and attacking head on. I mean, all we have to do is talk about these countless stories happening over and over and over again. Um, it's like Groundhog's Day. And when we think uh, about um, just all that's happening in this country, I, I was in Minneapolis last week with our president and CEO, Mark Morial. We were on the ground knowing that we had accountability in the George Floyd case, but then turning around and going to Dante Wright's funeral the very next day just proves how insidious this problem is, how much we have systemic racism in this country, whether we're talking about it historically from slavery or the black codes to Jim Crow. It is in the fabric of this country. And the fact remains, people of color, African-Americans, uh, black and brown and Asian people are just not seen in the same light and we're not seen as human beings and so there is much that needs to be done and i think quite frankly you need to stop using the term reform the system is broken and why the national urban league is really pushing on redefining public safety and restoring community and trust is because we really want to collaborate with communities to actually build a restorative system now, but in order to do that, bottom line is you got to get past the filibuster. There are not 10 votes on the Republican side uh, to do it. Now, um, you know, um, Senator Tim Scott uh, promises he can bring uh, Republicans aboard. I need to see evidence of that. But the bottom line is this here. If you can't pick up 10 Republicans, uh, you're not going to have police accountability. Well, you're not, if you can't pick up 10 Republicans, you won't have police accountability coming out of Washington. You know, the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act may not pass, but that's part of the reason why we developed these 21 pillars. Um, we should continue to push for change on the national level, but we also recognize that all politics is local. And sometimes the things that are happening on the local level impact your communities just as much, if not more. And so we need to be pushing on the national front and we need to be pushing on the state and local level. And our plan is really focused on giving people a framework, giving them the tools to really take their protests, uh, that they that they really did and 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 used it for power at the at the ballot box and really turned it into policy. And so, what are you asking for uh, the folks who are watching, listening to do to make that happen? Well, we're definitely encouraging folks to go to nul.org. That's the National Urban League's website where you can download the plan. Um, the other thing is really tapping into your local community. One of the things that I don't think gets lifted up as much is how we should be pushing for more reforms that put civilians, everyday people at the table. I, I really fundamentally believe that accountability is on all of us. And so when we're talking about reimagining or redefining or re-envisioning what public safety should look like, we also need to be pushing for uh, civilian review boards and not civ civilian review boards of old, which in many, in many instances, uh, it, added up to mere PR for elected officials, but civilian review boards that actually have decision-making authority. Uh, I had the uh, opportunity to serve on the Civilian Complaint Review Board in New York City. And if it were not 
for our advocacy, our independent investigation and prosecution. The officer involved in the death of Eric Garner, Daniel Pantaleo, would still be sitting on the force today because we look to leadership in Washington. We look to leadership on the local levels and it failed us time and time again and didn't get done. And so that independent investigation, independent prosecution, and a board driven by civilians, everyday people like you and me, uh, we had activists, we had lawyers, we had advocates all coming to the table and, and looking and reviewing the evidence and then pushing forward and forcing the city of New York to move forward with a disciplinary trial. If it hadn't been for that, we, I don't think the Garner family would have seen any semblance of accountability. The problem with these things is that it takes so much time. It takes too long. But I will say that um, what we've seen across the country in 2020 with these multiple pandemics, uh, the, the movement that we saw in the speed on the George Floyd justice and uh, the George Floyd case uh, and um, the uh, trial of Derek Chauvin has really emboldened and pushed a lot of our electeds on the local and state level to go further. These reforms were there, people were talking about them, but we really needed to put on put pressure and make it uh, very clear that you're either with the community or you're against us. And it needs to become politically expedient to do what is right and no longer look the other way. All right, uh, Jerrica, I really appreciate it. Thanks so much. Where can people actually read uh, these 21 uh, pillars? Where can they go? They can go to uh, the National Urban League's website, NUL.org. All right. We really appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Thank you. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s, dance away with hip-hop beats, and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender.